Hey everybody, this is episode 005 of Environmental Professionals. My name is John Lieber. You can reach me on Instagram, jungle underscore capital, or Twitter, jungle underscore capital. This show evolved out of the Environmental Professionals Facebook group. So if you're an environmental professional, please go to the Environmental Professionals Facebook and uh, join the conversation. If you're not an environmental professional, you can go to my Facebook page, which is John Lieber Ecology Planning, and like the page, and you can get a lot of the same content. Um, my guest today is Isabel. Uh, Isabel, if you can introduce yourself, let us know where you're from and what your current occupation is. Okay, so my full name is Carmel Isabel Nunez Lendo, uh, but you can call me Isabel. I'm from Spain, from Valencia. And uh, at the moment, I am based in Sydney, Australia, and I'm doing a PhD at the University of Technology of Sydney. And I am, a, I am also a National Geographic Explorer as well. Amazing. So um, if you can just give us a little bit of context into your, your journey, um, how you got started and how you got to where you are today. Well, my journey was quite long. Yeah. I am 34 years old and I just started my PhD last year, so as you can see, I'm not following the um, standard uh, way, uh, but it's never too late, right? Um, so I, I did a five-year degree in biology in Valencia. They didn't have any subject or specialization in marine stuff, so I have to find my way. So even, so even, did... even at that point, why did you take biology? Well, well, I, I had three options in my list, you know, that I applied. So first was biology, second was philosophy, and third was um, uh, French, a language. Um, and I chose biology because at that moment I thought, okay, you know, if I have to work, I prefer to deal more with nature and with animals and then be surrounded by people all the time, you know, and quite uh, I I mean sometimes it's very difficult to to agree right with people so I decided to to work in a country a little bit more different you know and which university was it that you went into so in my circumstances I chose the university that was more closer to my house to my to my home sorry and it was uh, Valencia University University of Valencia and at that moment, uh, the study uh, uh, has, has a length of five years. Um, and um, as I said, um, there weren't any, any specialization in marine staff, so I, I decided to find my way. And I did all the subjects that I could in marine staff or aquaculture, even so things that I, they were not like, you know, aquaculture, like it, it sounds not like... Um, um, funny, but I was thinking like I need to get a lot of knowledge, you know, so, from even from the things that I don't like or the things that I maybe I don't want to work with, so, but I want to know what is happening there. So, so you knew you, you knew early on yeah. that you wanted to do marine biology. Caught your attention early on. That was always an in, an interest of yours, like right right from an early stage in university. So when I started biology, no. What I did the first year was to try everything I could. I did uh, bird ringing, you know, put rings on, on the birds. Uh, what else? I did different subjects uh, and also lab subjects, and I 
taste as much as I could. Uh, I did also my mama's stuff, said nurse, and did you then, did you grow uh, up near the ocean too? Yes, okay. but it, funny thing is that in Valencia there is no tradition of marine biology studies or oceanography, and it's a it's a pity because we have the ocean is just there, you know. But there is no tradition as in other countries. Uh, but in my case, I think it wasn't. I think I wanted to do marine biology because I think I th- I reflected a lot of that uh, on that and my my dad uh, he was working on boats when he was younger and he was traveling around the world so he was a me- chief of how can I say um, mechanic chief you know on the boat and so he was always telling us to my sisters and I. Um, his stories, uh, you know, when they were crossing the Ecuador, this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I guess this stayed uh, in my mind unconsciously because I wasn't aware about that. Yeah. Okay. okay. I realized about this thought um, 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 later on in my, in my career. And also another thing also that influenced myself was my mom. Uh, and she loved nature. She's very respectful with nature and she treats the plants and the trees and the animals as you know like uh, with a lot of respect and empathy so and this also influenced me a lot but i realized now i didn't know at the moment yeah i see so so you were trying to you you knew you were interested in it you're mo- kind of moving towards it in any way you could um so if there was no marine biology options how did you deal with that you just i guess you learned what you could um you finished your undergrad where did where did that go from there? Well, I have to add here another challenge is that I was paying my studies, so I didn't have anyone to sustain myself. So, um, and I think it's a reality in Spain, in Portugal, in Italy, in many countries that, um, well, they have uh, um, less uh, welfare, I would say. Um, so it was, I was studying during the week, working during the weekend, and then when I could volunteer in that department that was close to me, uh, I was doing it. So the way to start, because I didn't have a lot of money at that moment, uh, and I wanted to get experience, it was I decided to send, uh, to contact departments that were related to marine biology that were in my university. In this case, it was a department about uh, marine parasitology, which was not my thing, but again, I wanted to know um, a little bit of the whole picture, right? And, and, and then from that, I could decide if I want to continue in that direction or change. And early, early on, did you lean into more um, an academic type or were you more hands-on person at this, at, the, at this stage? Or where did you kind of find yourself in that gradient? Oof, uh, I think at that moment I uh, was more like a technician, like, you know, like I didn't think about science or, I know I was part of the science, but more in the technical part, like helping processing, mm-hmm. uh, doing field work, lab work, not writing or reading a lot, you know, like an, it was more like a technician. Um, and then later on, I realized that uh, well, I like I like to learn, and I like um, the good things of science. Uh, so I decided to to go into this path. And I also because I realized that maybe I 
I would have a voice, a stronger voice if I go through science than if I go in another pathway. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So did you uh, go for a master's directly after or did you start working in the field? What happened next? So what happened that I was almost finishing, I'm, I'm trying to remember because it's a long time ago. So I was almost finishing my degree in Valencia, um, but, um, and then I had the chance to do an, um, so to, with a degree you can do an internship, right? Mm-hmm. So at that moment I didn't, I didn't need the credit. I was already with all my credits, but I thought, you know what, it's the only way to get experience. How I'm going to enter in a lab, you know, by my own. It's better to try to enter in a lab when you are a student because um, there is a kind of agreement um, regarding the insurance. It's covered. Your insurance in a lab is covered. And otherwise, if you are not in the university system, it's very hard that they cover your insurance. So I, I felt like, you know, um, I'm going to use this opportunity, even I don't need it in credits, but I, I want this experience. And I decided to go to Barcelona, which is four hours by car in the north. Uh, and I had the chance to work for the, um, for the government, for the uh, research council. Uh, um, and yeah, this made a big difference in my CV, definitely. Because I started in one lab in Barcelona, the, um, IFM, which is the Marine Science Institute, and then because they were collaborating with another institute, they transferred me there. So in my CV, I ended up with two organizations from the government, and at uh, how old I was, maybe I was 24, 25, something like this. Yeah. Yeah, it really goes so to yeah. it really goes to show how those internships can be such a godsend because I think like when you are. are about to finish your undergrad or any sort of schooling, that's really kind of the hardest point in your career because you have no experience, you're just out of school, and uh, that internship is a huge um, excuse to get some experience and really launch into a a lot of other things. So um, it's a really good uh, tool to be strategic about. In my opinion, I mean, there is what I felt like many people wanted to finish the degree. I need to finish on time, right? But you know, sometimes um, it's not necessary to finish on time, or you even can finish on time, but you use your degree to not only do the subjects, take scholarships, apply for awards, uh, contact people to volunteer or to do some project, you know, and this is how you get your experience. And they will trust you more than if you are a particular person that are without, you know, you came out of the blue. If you're already in the university, they will trust you and they will accept you uh, easier than if you are a um, you know, someone uh, random. Yeah. Random yeah. And it's easy, I think, at that age, too, to be shy. But the power of asking is, uh, is, is really powerful because you'd be surprised on how many times people will say yes to um, letting you in. And that's a huge, you know, thing to get you in the door. Um, and I just. If someone asks you now, can I help you? I say yes. Help me. <laughs> you know, like, I realize we need help. People that are, uh, in, you know, in. Um, in a higher position in the career, uh, it's a lot of work, a lot of multitasking. So, any help, any hand, any you know, it's more than welcome. Yeah. So and... ask, always ask. That's awesome. Don't don't assume things. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And I also, my other thought on it too, is that how at that point in your career, everything is so difficult. Like when you're doing job interviews, you have nothing to talk about. You just feel um, desperate in some ways because you're trying to get an income and so many things are going on, but it only ever gets easier from that, um, from there on. And I, I often think now when I job do a job interview, it's so easy now. Like I feel like it's a breeze because I have so much experience and projects that I can draw on. But at that point, it was so difficult because you're kind of, you know, reaching at straws that aren't there. So, I, you know, I would also send the message to people that it gets easier too. But I like um, your practical tip of making sure to ask too. So, so any... And we need to work in confidence uh, in ourselves, you know. And I know it's hard at the beginning when you don't have experience to ask someone. But uh, you have to build this confidence. And also you have to train yourself. To communicate if you want something you know on if you have an idea and you want to develop this idea so as soon as you start the better yeah that's great and now it's so easy with email and everything you don't even need to be like calling and showing up anywhere it's it's fairly easy even if you are an introvert um, so yeah make sure to do that for anyone listening uh, so the other thing that's pretty interesting about uh, the gist I kind of got about your your career up from there on is like you're a real kind of woman of the world. Like wh- at which point did you start getting more international experience? And well, um, again, well my advice for people is that when you start, you have difficulties. You know, you don't have a lot of budget. You don't have a lot of contacts. Whatever you don't know what is going on. So try to go local, and then when it, try to go a little bit. Uh, international and a little bit more so in my case i did more i started in valencia then i went to another region in my country barcelona then i went uh, uh, to did, the netherlands did you Sorry? did you did you learn to speak english before you left uh my english is not the best but i tried my best uh my English, I learned English in high school and until I was uh, 18 years old and then the English that I know I have to build it myself. Again, I didn't have um, money to pay for lessons so I had to read. I like to hang out with foreigners, you know, with international people so for me it was a way to practice and also I was, when I was a child I was translating songs of Backstreet Boys so this helped me a lot as well. <laughs> So, yeah, and I'm improving every day, I'm improving, I'm reading a lot, you know, so, and in fact, today, with this interview, so one one part of my, on one side, I wanted to do it, because I think it's important uh, for me to start to um, improve my communication, but on the other side, I was super nervous, because I said, wow, maybe I'm not capable to, um, to do this interview, and it's going to be a mess. But look, I'm trying it, you know, so this is the insight to everyone. You have to try, you have to learn, you have to, um, you know. No, I give you a lot of credit for that. Yeah, I give you a lot of credit for that. It's very difficult to learn a second language, so good for you. Um, Because I'm assuming when you went to Netherlands, you had to speak uh, English as well, right, for the, the job? Yeah, so as I was saying, like, I will start for people that is listening and want to have difficulties, try locally and then go a little bit, you know, expand yourself. So I went from Valencia to Barcelona and then at some point I decided to do a master. It took me two years to decide that because I didn't go 
Well, anyway, um, I didn't. I, I wanted to stay in Spain because people think that we don't. We want to leave our country. We don't want to leave our countries. But I wanted to be in Spain. I tried to be there and work there and work there, and it was not possible. So I decided, okay, Isabel, you need to recycle yourself, go and study master. And and for the master in the Netherlands, yeah, they ask you to have a minimum of English uh, to follow the the subjects, right? Yeah. And then from the Netherlands, I, I went even more internationally. So what was so your what, step by step, yeah. what was your master's and where? Um, so this master was about um, aquaculture and marine resource management. So both things, right? And, and again, it was not about marine conservation. It was not about... But um, as, I, um, as I say, I want, in my opinion, if you really want to make a... Um, a difference or you want to bring a solution you also need to know your enemy you need to you also need to know your the challenges that we are facing you know not only the nice part uh, or the things that you like i so i learned a lot with the how is, which is the current situation of culture in fisheries and at the different levels um and not that, only academia but also social and aspects. Was yeah. that was that focusing on offshore aquaculture and fisheries or um like the onshore op- or maybe both onshore operations? I know they have like ponds where they do um aquaculture uh, as well. This master was more about uh, was more focused in um how can I say? Um which is the current situation in aquaculture, the different aquacultures that we have and the problems that we have, and also a lot of techniques in the lab to be able to do research in aquaculture, yes. But not only uh, scientific, like, uh, not only in the lab, but also social uh, research. So it was more focused in academia, I would say. But yeah, lab and social work. Okay. And then, uh, so then what happened between uh, after you finished your master's and then to now where you've headed back to get your PhD? Oh my God. Many things happen, <laughs> many things happen that I didn't expect it. Um, so, how can I say? Um, everything that happened since 2015 until now, uh, it was totally unexpected. I never thought about it, but it just happened and I took the opportunities. Um, so, when I was in the Netherlands, I change a lot myself um, because that well I totally recommend this place it's a the university is called Wageningen University it's in Wageningen in the Netherlands and I really enjoy the master and the people that live there uh, and these years were one of the best years in my life you know like I can remember these years as forever in my life and I change a lot personally so I wasn't, um, I was studying aquaculture, right? But I didn't see myself working in a farm, growing fish all together, you know, like, and in my, I don't know, it didn't, it didn't align with my um, values. Mm-hmm. And it didn't align with the way I want, I treat animals. It didn't align with the way I want to contribute to this world. I'm not saying that, of course, our culture is necessary in certain situations, you know, to relieve um, uh, pressure pressure from the oceans, and it's a very fundamental. Um, uh, um, how can I say? Um, it's a very fundamental part of the economy and life of in many countries.
countries, you know, like sustain, how do you say, um, for life homes, um, to sustain families. So mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not against agriculture. It's just in my position, I didn't see myself working in that industry or in neither in the industry neither in the academia. So, okay. but I already chose that pathway. So I was ready like. Uh, I had to do a, a thesis and an internship with that topic, so it was uh, like a very uh, intense feeling for me, and I was I was not okay because I was doing something that I didn't want. So anyway, it happened that you know um, at that time there was a project in the agriculture department about color restoration, right? Because they consider that coral uh, husbandry and restoration can be included within the, the aquaculture. So you can use aquaculture for production or aquaculture for, for conservation. So there was this project and I, 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 I knew I had to go in that project. So um, I, I, I got selected for this project and I had the chance to go to the Bahamas. And um, and this internship was paid and all covered, so you never wow. know. You see, I didn't pay any penny for that, so no. I never in my life I expected to go to, to to travel to the Bahamas and neither get paid, you know. So it was like very shocking for me to to be treated as a professional, you know. How long were you there? I stayed uh, five months or something like this. Amazing. Yeah. And so we went in summertime. And we were working uh, with the coral spawnings. So in uh, July, August, and even September, there is the uh, uh, coral spawning of the main uh, Acropora species in the Caribbean. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we were, it was a big team, in fact, uh, working in, with two boats and lots of divers and snorkelers catching the the spawn, the gametes, you know, and then doing the assisted assisted fertilization and then reading the larvae and then settling them. It was big numbers, like uh, it was a large scale coral restoration project and I really enjoyed it. And this made, um, this experience, well, when I was in the water and I saw this spawning for the first time in the water in the night, uh, this changed my life. I knew I wanted to continue in this uh, in this in this path, and where did, I didn't know how. Where did where I, where did your where did your diving um, abilities come in at that point? Because so did you just? Bad. It was very bad. I didn't know how to snorkel. It was it was so they. It was very hard. Seriously, they. All the people knew how to snorkel perfectly, and I didn't know how to snorkel. Do you imagine? So, and I was one of the snorkelers, and we had to snorkel during the night. You know, like wow, very scary because you don't see anything. There are sharks, right? But you know, I was like, I I don't have to. They don't they don't select you for being on the boat. They select you to contribute in the in the work. So I say I have to do it, even if I swallow the salty water i have to do it so i did it but it was very hard but now i'm a good snorkeler you know after five years yes okay. i don't have any okay so i feel like everyone at some point in their career i think some people it happens when they're really young and some people it happens when they're older 
but I think everyone at some point gets a break in their career that changes everything for them. Do you feel like that opportunity was the thing that changed everything for for you? Yes, when I witnessed, yeah, the witnessing the coral spawning, you know, under the full moon, because this coral spawning happened when it's full moon in the middle of the ocean and surrounded by boats and the island and the water. So for me, it's all the elements, nature in its pure, in, in pure nature, you know, happening in front of my eyes. So, um, yeah, so yeah, that's that... the big, the big, the big um, um, turning point in my life, yeah. Yeah, so that's clearly like when you started feeling some real passion. And that's interesting to me too, because right before that, you were saying that you kind of felt like uh you know you were you were in aquaculture and you were not feeling like it was something that was reflecting your values but you were able to kind of use the tools that you had to to find a way um to build on it not completely throw out everything that you've worked up to until that point and find a way that led you to a, a place where you're able to use that um skill set that you've already built up but then also steer it in a direction um, that you're, yeah, yeah. So I, that's another kind of, um, well, impressive achievement, but also a lesson too, I think for other people that like, if you're in a place where you're not sure, it's not like you need to just throw out everything, but you can, you know, um, try to use it in a way that takes you somewhere else too. So that's, that's really awesome. And I'm glad that you had that opportunity because I guess, I guess you have to think that maybe sometimes your differences in what you are different or the, you know, the things that you, if you don't follow the trend, you think they are against you and maybe they help you. And in my, in my case, to, to be comfortable in a lab setting, to be comfortable in physiology, to be comfortable in aquaculture techniques, help me in this project. So, uh, Maybe people can think, oh, you need to know about conservation or ecology, and maybe it's good, but not for this project, right? So, I mean, again, check your skills. They are useful for sure, and if you need something else, of course, go for it. Uh, look for that skill that is missing. But I'm sure you have a skill that can be used for something that you like. And uh, so then at this point, once you, so you had quite a bit of schooling, and you, then you had a little bit of experience built up. After this point, did you start finding that it was pretty easy to start um, getting jobs, that there was enough of a market in, in what you were doing at this point? Or was it still, is it still something that's uh, been, a, been a struggle to keep finding work in? After this experience? Yes. yes I, I, I see, I saw a big difference in my, and the responses regarding my CV. Um, so now I was sending my CV and I was getting replies. People were very interested in what I was doing, and uh, and they wanted to collaborate. And so yeah, it was a big difference. And this helped me. This experience definitely helped me to get the next one and the next one and the next one. Yes. And at, at which at which point then? So if you were come kind of uh, building more and more experience, at which point did you think uh, maybe I should go back and get even more school? Come again, sorry. What do you uh, want? So now that you're doing your PhD, which point, like where, where along the road did you start thinking you should do a PhD, go back for more school? Um. So, well, after that, um, 
internship I did my thesis, right? And again, in the same topic in the Philippines, working with Australian and Filipino and Dutch uh, teams. Um, and then from there, I got a project uh, in French Polynesia. And then the same project brought me to Hawaii. And, and then the last project I did was uh, an AGEO grant in French Polynesia again. So at that moment, I realized that I was doing a lot of projects, but it was very unstable because you have to write a grant or someone has to write a grant and they have to choose you and maybe the project lasts one, one year, six months. Uh, so it was very unstable and I also, I love traveling, but I was traveling a lot mm -hmm. and it was also heartbreaking because you cannot build um, relation, friends relationships or a parent relationship or whatever, you know, even family relationships, yeah. you are not there sure. to support them. It was, um, it, it was funny to travel a lot and I learned a lot and I will do it again, but I at certain point, I, I knew that I also wanted to be based somewhere and to be to have a more sta stable life economically and not to be always thinking about writing a grant, you know, to get the next, uh, to have some income the next year. Sure. Yeah, it was more, more that, yeah. Sure. And also, also because um, so my point was not to do a PhD to have the degree again. I didn't, I'm not looking for the degree. I was looking about doing something about enjoying my life and doing something that I agree with. So I wrote this proposal. So this proposal was never write, uh, wrote, uh, written by my supervisors or it was something that I applied for. I, I wrote this whole proposal with all my ideas, the way I wanted to do it. Of course, getting feedback from my supervisors. So. In this case, I don't feel like this is only a PhD degree. This is the, my PhD project, you know, with my ideas, with my values, and of course the expertise. And I have to change many things now, you know. But uh, what what yeah. is so? Can you tell us about what your PhD is about? So my PhD it's about well, broadly it's about restoration, and I'm um, working with coral nurseries. Uh, genetic repositories uh, to conserve uh, biodiversity of corals. Um, so basically, at the moment, I'm working uh, in the Great Barrier Reef, uh, and we are um, using uh, um, coral uh, platforms as a coral nurseries, and um, we are rearing corals there. Different projects, of course, and um, in my case, I'm looking for. I'm studying different traits like a lot of traits, uh, physical, physiological, and molecular of the corals that are um, in the nursery, the corals that are, are planted directly onto the reef and the mother colonies. And looking at all these traits, I want to find if uh, there are traits that can give more information about their health status because at the moment we only focus on survival and growth when we do restoration projects because it's the easiest way to measure the success of that project but maybe these, these traits are not enough to give a better picture of the health status of the coral you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So maybe there are other kind of traits sure. that are more indicative for success 
or maybe they are trade off. So, for example, you can have a coral that grows very fast in the nursery, right? But but that's a mean for the skeleton. Is the skeleton more fragile? Maybe you know. So maybe they are trade off, and I'm looking in these positive associations between trades and the feedbacks and the trade offs, and looking if there are trades that are more. Um, appropriate for um, evaluating success I see. in restoration projects. I see. So um, if you could, so I'm really new to anything um, about coral restoration and I, I kind of got exposed to it a little bit yesterday because I'm assuming maybe did you see the news articles that were going around yesterday about how the Great Barrier Reef, I guess the southern part has been found, like they released a survey and that, yeah, and there's some bleaching going on there. So can you kind of tell us what, what is happening um, and if you've seen it yourself, like because I, I, you've done a lot of diving there? So this bleaching happened in February, at the end of February. I was in the Great Barrier Reef at the beginning of February doing my project and the bleaching happened at the end, started at the end. Um, we have, we collaborate with um, people that work there, they are based there in Port Douglas, so they were um, informing us about this situation, and and now it's getting really really bad, uh, as you can see in the in the media, right? That the south part of the Great Barrier Reef is bleaching. Luckily, the north part where I have my project, it's 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 okay still, you know. So. But the south part is it's it's really bad. Yeah. Is this and, is this something that happens in one event like that? It's it's okay, and then all of a sudden the next week it just uh, turns bleached, or is it something that over a couple of years um, you can see it happening? Okay, so the a bleaching event uh, happen when the water the seawater um, gets higher uh, for long time for longer for for long time. So the water gets hot, you know, warm, and the coral starts to stress. He's, he, he first is okay, you know, and then it starts to stress. And when he's very stressed, um, he spells the symbolinium, the algae that is uh, in, in, the, in the tissue. And this is when you see the bleaching. They get pale. They get, they are, they, you can see them as in, in whites, right? And... But this doesn't happen in one day. Happening uh, like the temperature of the water starts to builds, uh, starts to increase in temperature, and then you can see the bleaching that starts, and then more corals are getting um, bleach, you know, and and these bleaching events usually. So there are many um, bibliography that they are more frequent now, more intense now, you know, and so we had a bleaching event in 2016, then another one in 2017, then another one uh, um, in another areas in 2018, now in 2020, so they come very, you know, ver they are very consecutive, and usually you can see these bleaching events every 10 years, 20 years, but not every year mm -hmm. in an annual basis. Uh, so, so this is... Um, yeah, this is a reflect of the CO two emissions, you know, that uh, we are um, they are, are in the in the atmosphere and that they are warming the oceans. The the coral restoration work that you've done, I guess, like throughout your career, 
has it is it specific to restoring bleached coral reefs or is it like another metric that you're restoring so uh within my team because uh they are members that they are um restoring degraded reefs these degraded reefs is because they maybe suffer a cyclone a cyclone pass through them you know uh in this case, um, no bleach uh, reef because, as I said, we work in the north, and at the moment there is no bleach in there. So for the moment we are not doing that. But yeah, they are doing some restoration in the degraded reef that, that they are degraded because another circumstances, because physical damage or because maybe they don't have a lot of um, coral recruitment, you know. So they are doing this, yeah. And uh, how do you? I mean, uh, in the bigger picture, how do you feel about about what's happening and where we're going and the work that's being done? Because you kind of have a very intimate understanding of what what research and projects are, are going on in places like the Great Barrier Reef. Do you are you optimistic? Or are you uh, really concerned? How do you feel about uh, about reefs in general um, as a future outlook? <clears throat> okay, so I. In my opinion, okay, this is a collective uh, solution that we all have to contribute. You cannot expect scientists or NGOs to restore the whole Great Valley Reef. We will do our part, but every citizen has to do their part, you know. So in the way that you eat, in the way that you consume, in the way that you move in the city, there are many ways you can contribute and be part of the solution. So. From the academia and the NGOs part, yeah, well, we're doing every, everything that we can, but it's not enough because we need other people to also contribute and we need governments to change their, their policies. And um, so I, I am very optimistic. So I will say, yes, there is hope, <laughs> but we need all to be uh, in the same line. Otherwise we are losing time, yeah and we're losing corals yeah that's interesting uh because well there's a lot of reasons to reduce your carbon footprint i think everyone knows that and i think most people that are um environmentally conscious are working on that part um by trying to reduce their carbon footprint but i'm interested on how you as someone that um understands marine biology what is a diet that would you would consider like how could a normal person kind of tweak their diet to be more um, friendly towards uh, the to to the ocean and to to, to reefs? Okay, so um, in my opinion, I'm I'm not going to give an actual advice because I don't know exactly which is the perfect diet, and in every country, in every city, changes. I would say you just ask yourself where this comes from, how this was harvested. Does this respect the social rights and the natural rights? Just make you questions like this. Do you need this? This nourish you or it's just a luxury? This kind of question you need to ask when you buy something, you know? Uh, for example, eating um, tuna in French Polynesia is totally okay because they have the best nurseries there. There is artisanal fisheries there. You know, they are island nations, they need to consume tuna. But maybe it's not okay to eat tuna 
in Spain or in Japan, you know, because they don't have any tuna and they are harvesting from far away, you know. So it's about asking in, in each, in each um, location, there are, diff- there are different circumstances. And you have to ask yourself where this comes from and if it res- is respectful with people and with nature, you know. Sometimes you won't find this, but many times, yes. So just try to go, be conscious about what you are consuming. And once you're conscious, it will be easier for you to make decisions about I eat this or I don't eat that. Do you have a resource? I know for me, like I'll, a lot of times I'll pick things out at the grocery store and you look and they, they'll have different certifications and labels. Um, h- how would you go like um, advise someone to assess any sort of um, uh, that, it, that it's more friendly than other um, packages? Like is there a, a website or somewhere that, that you use as a resource um, when, when shopping for your fish or seafood? Basically, you would see like in terms of um, fish products, uh, they are a bit different. There are products that don't have any label at all, and the ones that have. So you, tar- I target the ones that have the label. Usually, it's like they are dolphin friendly, you know, or the fish, the uh, the fishing practice is uh, more sustainable or less aggressive or. You also can see the origin of the of the product. So if the product comes from far, far away, I don't buy this. I prefer to buy something more locally or closer, you know. So uh, definitely the fish products, they have labels, some of them. So I would I would choose the ones that have the labels, definitely. Okay. Um, that's if helpful. If you want to consume the other ones, maybe okay, but not so often or not so uh, frequently. You know what I mean? It's mm. not about prohibiting. It's about looking for a balance I see so one of the main things you look for is the local um, factor in my case yes I, I prefer to buy local locally um, for many reasons uh, less uh, carbon footprint you help the local economy which you where you live in so it helps you it goes to you as well uh, and I um, I also think the clothes are less processed are more uh, fresh as well Great. so definitely I go for local um, if I can yes awesome well that in and itself is helpful because sometimes you know I try to be literate in it but I think the packages are really confusing sometimes and I think some people like myself probably are reading into it too much because we're trying to assess what type of aquaculture is sustainable and different things but that's a really simple way I think for for people at least to start off on the first kind of decision to to be looking for um, yeah. So what's next for you when you finish your PhD? What do you, where are you hoping to go and take your career to? Oh my God. I don't know. I mean, I trust life. So I don't know. Whatever life uh, wants me to, to bring, I will accept it. Um, I, so I'm doing academia and I'm, it's very hard, guys. <laughs> so think twice if you want to do that. Uh, <laughs> So I love what I'm doing it's just because I think that I'm, I'm struggling with the English, right? So it's hard for me to, to write, uh, um, I mean, I do it, but it takes me a long time to write a manuscript or to write scientifically, you know, so this, uh, yeah. And, um, and also, uh, 
doing analysis, statistical analysis is not my strongest point, but I also am doing it, so yes. But if you are very good in writing and statistical analysis, go ahead. You will enjoy it and you will have free time. But when you are not the best, then this uh, takes uh, time from your personal life. And this is what I don't like too much. But okay, I understand that I'm learning and um, and I also love what I'm doing, so it's fine. So um, I really don't know if I'm going to continue in the academia or not. I just know that I want to do conservation um, at the national and international level, yes. I would like to con- to collaborate with uh, conservation institutions um, to to give them advice, you know, to to, to develop projects. And, and I'm very interested in island nations, yes. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 I have lived the last five years in my life I was living in, on island, so I think islands are very, because of their size and their population, they are quite manageable or easier to manage than uh, big countries, right? Like sure, with sure. a lot of land or or with more uh, borders. So this, this is what I'm interested in now. Great. Well, I'm, well, I'm very excited for you because you definitely are living a special life and you have a lot that you can contribute. Um, and it's kind of insightful for me to listen to you too, because you, I think a lot of people listening to your life, it would, everyone would kill to have a life like that, where, you know, you've just seen all parts of the world and, um, you know, above ground, underground, but then it's also, you've kind of opened the curtain to see how much work and how it's uh, very technical, heavy, a lot of, and how much, uh, work you've had to do to get to this point, some of the struggles about moving around all the time. So it's definitely not all, all easy, but it's, uh, you know, definitely, um, a huge contribution to the conservation movement. So thanks for all you do. Um, so just to, to wrap up, uh, is there anyone, any environmental or conservation professionals that you're looking to connect with? Or is there any message that you want to, or, or thoughts that you want to leave with? Okay, so I have, for the people that want to build a career in marine biologists, I have one about, well, three tips. One is to have patience. You need to have patience. Patience is the key, guys. Uh, without patience, you cannot go anywhere. Then second is to believe in yourself. Always believe in yourself. Even if you don't know how to do something, you believe you will learn this and you will know how to do this and you will find the way the way to, to, to learn or to experience that. So believe in yourself. I, my, my context and my situation um, in my context, my situation, I never would would, um, would thought, think that uh, I would be traveling and working with international institutions. Um, but it happened. It, ha- it happened because I always believed I wanted to be a marine biologist. I, I always believed I wanted to live the life I wanted, you know. It took me many years and still at the moment I'm working for this life to happen, you know. But it's possible. If it was possible for me, it's possible for you guys. Um, you just have to think about that and go for it. And and then regarding if I want to, what you say, if I want to collaborate with. Uh, well, other, just just uh, just if you're looking for any um, to get in touch with any certain kinds of environmental professionals for your research or or for whatever reason, you can uh, feel free to put the call out. 
Well, I am. I'm very busy at the moment, so I cannot um, collaborate. I mean, like, um, be hundred percent for another project. But I always um, uh, I like to help people to get their their ideas done. So if they want to reach me and they have any questions about funding or how to write grants or or ideas, I can help them and give my my advice. You know. And I can be part of the team as an advisor if they want to. Um, so, so basically, I I was I'm not looking for more projects, but if they need someone else, some support, and they think that I can help them, then write me or contact me, and I, I will be. If I cannot help you, probably I know someone that can help you. You know. Good stuff. Do you have a Twitter or anything like that? Any social media where people can can follow you? I don't have. Uh, I have LinkedIn. <laughs> okay, 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 good. So I'll I'll make sure to um put your LinkedIn there if that's okay, and then everyone can at least uh, connect with you there and uh, get in touch with you if if need be. So I think that's it. Thank you so much, Isabel. This was a great conversation. I think it's going to be valuable to a lot of people. So uh, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you to you. Thank you. Bye.